I started to notice, oh, all of these people that I'm working with that seem to have everything, all of the luxuries and all of the money and the fame and that they're deeply, a lot of them were deeply unhappy. So it was like this outward, you know, abundance, but this inner poverty. And I started to look at that and wonder, why is that? Hello, and welcome to the Spiraling Higher podcast hosted by me, Sam, Mindset and Manifestation Coach. And me, Gina, your biz and mindset coach. We're here to support you on your spiritual journey by bringing you intimate and raw conversations about healing, manifestation, consciousness, and spirituality. We hope this podcast makes you feel less alone as you become aware of your patterns and limiting beliefs to uplevel your life, manifest like a boss, and together, spiral higher. Hey, Spiralers, we found something that we could not wait to tell you about. We have got for you some spiritual tea. Actually, it's not tea at all, but (laughs) it is our new favorite meditation app, Superhuman. We are literally obsessed with this. I love it because unlike other meditation apps we've used before, it has meditations you can do as you go about your day, not just when you're sitting or lying down. My favorite are the getting ready ones that are about 20 minutes long with affirmations that you can listen to as you start your morning or the midday pep talks, which are only two or three minutes long. And they even have specific tracks for moms. Yeah, there's so many options. And I really like how these meditations are aimed at helping you tap into the emotions of what you want to attract. Mm -hmm. They're accompanied with really moving motivational musical tracks. And they're just not boring. They don't just ask you to sit there and try to clear your mind. Instead, I feel like I'm in my own music video and I'm tuning into the frequency of my future self. Yeah, I actually feel like I'm in my own movie when I'm listening to them. I know, me too. Especially when I'm doing the walking ones. There's like Mm -hmm. specific walking ones where Mimi's voice, who actually voices all of the tracks, she's like, and as you walk into your future, (laughs) I literally feel like I'm commanding this energy. And that's the entire point of the meditation is to really tune into a higher frequency. And so with our code, you can try the Superhuman app with one free month in addition to their trial offer of two complimentary weeks. That's six entire free weeks to tune into the frequency of your highest timeline. So abundant. We want you to try it for yourself and let us know what you think because you have absolutely nothing to lose and you can redeem your free six weeks of the Superhuman app now by clicking the link in our show notes and using the code SPIRALINGHIGHER with no spaces. We know you're going to love this one and we feel confident that your vibrations are going to spiral higher. Hey, Spiralers. So as you know, Gina and I have been detoxing from so much of the stress that we've experienced in our lives. We have been really learning to move with the rhythm of our bodies rather than the frenetic pace of our minds. And so today's guest is actually so perfectly timed because Miss Tracy Stanley is a yoga nidra teacher, author, and spiritual guide who has been dedicated to awakening deep rest and clarity for her practice. And so with over 20 years of experience, she is a respected lineage teacher and renowned for her books called Radiant Rest and the upcoming book, The Luminous Self. And so we are so excited to dive deeper into your journey, Tracy, and how you became a yoga teacher and so that you can give us your beautiful tools and self-care practices so that we can embrace more radical rest. Welcome to the show, Tracy. Welcome. Thank you so much, Gina and Sam. So great to be here with you. Oh, we are so we are so blessed. Um, thank you so much for contacting us. It really does seem like it's been perfectly timed because yes. as I said, Gina and I have been on this journey of learning to experience more rest and how that's actually been oftentimes a threat to our identity. Mm-hmm. And you being a yoga nidra teacher, I'm really curious to know what led you on this path how did you find yourself becoming a self-care, a radical rest practitioner? Tell us a little bit about your journey. Yeah, I love that you said that it, this was this kind of idea of the hustle mm-hmm. and the doing was central to your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, because when I discovered yoga and yoga nidra, I was a Hollywood film producer. <gasps> and my whole identity was how many projects do I have? How many people are on my team? How many things are we doing? How many things can I, you know, crises can I solve in a day? And it was all about going. It was all about doing. 
And one day I went to go get a massage and the masseuse said to me, oh, you know, your spine is curving. It looks like you probably sleep in the fetal position and you're probably on the phone. This is like back in the day when we were holding the phones, like, you know, between the the ear and the shoulder. (laughs) And I think you need to do some yoga. And I had heard about yoga, but not really a lot about yoga. And um, I went into a class, I went into a studio and I told them I was a beginner and they said, okay, go to the class to the right. And I started that class and I realized immediately that I was feeling so much better. I don't know that I had the words. I don't know that if I, that I could viscerally tell you where and how I felt better, but I knew that I felt calmer Mm -hmm. and I started going to that class five days a week. So as soon as I would get off from my job, I would go to yoga. Mm. And then at some point about five years later, I went to a class and the person who was leading the class told us all to lay down. And I thought, well, why are we laying down? We haven't done any <laughs> yoga poses. <laughs> like, is this it? <laughs> like, what, what's happening? And before I knew it, I was floating in this liminal space mm. that felt like this place of dream time, but I was awake. And then I think I kind of lost consciousness at some point, probably fell asleep. And then the next thing I knew, I heard the person saying, okay, wiggle your toes and start to breathe deeply. And I was like, wait, what just happened? Like, where did I go? But I realized that I felt like something in me had been revealed. Like there was this Mm -hmm. kind of inner peace that was there. It wasn't something that the teacher did. It was just something that happened because I was still and because I was being restful in the supine position. Mm. And so I fell in love with yoga nidra. And much like we do, uh, or at least like I, I was doing at that time, is that I was thinking about my practices in a very extractive way. Mm-hmm. Right? right. What can I get? Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I do yoga so I can feel more peaceful. Yeah. I'm going to start doing this yoga nidra practice now because I'm realizing that when I do this practice, I feel more rested and I'm working 16 hour days that I can practice yoga nidra for 20 minutes and I can feel refreshed and recouped on my sleep. And that was really how the beginning of my journey started is that I had this simultaneous yoga practice, yoga nidra practice, and I was a high level executive in Hollywood. So that's how I started until the revealing, the more of the revealing actually started to happen. And then it was like, oh, wait a second. I'm so much more than Mm -hmm. what I think I am. I'm not my job. Mm. I'm not the number of movies that I'm making. I'm not the A-list star that I'm throwing a party for tonight. I'm not any of those things. Yeah. Yeah. My, My favorite my favorite hero's journey is actually very reminiscent of your story where it's very outwardly uh, and traditionally successful. It's very glamorous, but on the internals, there's a lot of chaos. There's a lot of misalignment. There's a lot of feeling unfulfilled, even though everything is looking glamorous and fun and fabulous on the outside. And so I would love for you to kind of tell us a little about what were some of the telltale signs that you were out of alignment? How did you even begin to realize that maybe you weren't living in alignment? Because to some people, they may have a long journey before they realize that they aren't living their purpose or that they aren't feeling that deeper part of themselves. What sort of... I know you had the massage, but was there any sort of other inspirations that helped you sort of realize that there's a deeper calling, there's a deeper wisdom that I'm not tapping into? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the massage was the thing that got me to the yoga class, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't until I actually started to practice yoga diligently and every day that things started to soften. I would say like the personality that was kind of concretized mm-hmm. over the true self started mm-hmm. to soften. And then my eyes started to become more clear. And, you know, I don't know if this happens with everyone, but it definitely happened with me is that I started to notice, oh, all of these people that I'm working with that seem to have everything, all of the luxuries and all of the money and the fame and that they're deeply, a lot of them were deeply unhappy. Yeah. So it was like this 
outward, you know, abundance, but this inner poverty. Mm. Yes. And I started to look at that and wonder, why is that? And then the more that I would practice, the more that I would get questions from people who I respected asking me, well, what, what is it that you're doing? Why is it that you seem so calm? Why is it that mm. you seem so able to, you know, be calm in the midst of turmoil and also at the same time be happy and joyful? And what I started to realize from there was that not only was I feeling the shift of what happened when I practiced rest and what happened when I practiced yoga is that I was feeling it, but it was also radiating outward. Yeah. Yeah. Like a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. And that was when I decided that I wanted to open a little studio. Mm. And I was going to open the studio as a donation only studio because one of the things that I noticed in my yoga experiences is that I was often the only person of color um, that was practicing and that the cost of classes was also a, a barrier to entry. So I wanted to have a place that people um, could come and feel comfortable and that there were teachers from all different walks of life. Mm. Um, and I had no intention of teaching. My intention was literally just to have a space. I was still producing films, but to have a space where people could come and practice. Mm. And then at some point, I started to become more aware of the types of films that I was making. I started to become aware of, oh, maybe it's not such a great idea to keep making action movies and to have a gun on every poster. Right, because there, this is a you know, this is a me- media form which actually has a frequency, yeah, and this frequency affects people. So that was one of the things that I would say, you know, you just start to wake up in different ways and you start to question what the motivations are, and sometimes yeah. the motivations mm-hmm. are unconscious. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you become more conscious and you start to ask these questions, and simultaneous to that. The yoga studio was thriving. Um, And one day there was a teacher who couldn't teach. And I happened to be in the studio and I had to jump in and teach the class. And when I taught the class, I was like, wow, this feels so much more fulfilling than Mm. most of the films that I've made. And being in the studio with the people who were working in the studio And coming to the studio was always a joy. It always felt like home. Mm. So it started to get me to be in this place of, hmm, what, which one of these ways that I'm living? Because it was kind of two separate lives, right? It's like I have this Hollywood life and then I go home to the yoga studio and that's a different life. Yeah. And they were not integrated. Yes. Uh, I can definitely relate. Well, Gina and I can definitely relate to that. And maybe I'll let you speak on that, Gina, but how we definitely felt like double life at some point before we merged our spiritual with our personal. Not even just with career, but I also think in relationships. I think when we start to awaken, and as you said, you start to become conscious of all the ways you've been unconscious. And so you start engaging in these conversations or these interactions And whether it be in business or whatever, and you're like, wait, this is totally not in alignment with the way that I actually want to live my life anymore or who I'm becoming or who I'm unfolding into. So um, I just love that you spoke on that. And I also love the unfolding of your story because I think a lot of the conversations we've been having lately is with a lot of people looking for their purpose. You know, what am I here meant to do? What is my mission? What What is my thing? And I think there's we're kind of destined for a lot of different things. And I think when you follow what you believe is your thing in the moment, it leads to like the next thing. And so I think we can worry less about finding the one thing and focus on where are we at right now and trust that what we're meant to do next will come to us. And for you to just be in the room and the teacher doesn't come and you're like, well, I guess I'll teach. And for that to then unfold into what you're doing now, I think is just such a telltale sign that 
the universe really does always have our back, that we're always going to be led to our path, that what's mm-hmm. meant for us can't miss us. You know, all of those truths that we all say so often. I just love hearing the real life examples for people to really, you know, anchor in that this is truth. So thank you for yeah. sharing that. Thank you for speaking to that. Uh, I think for me, it was also this question that because there were two disparate lives, yeah, that I really got to look and say, okay, what feels life affirming mm. and Ooh. what doesn't? Yeah. And when I started to ask those questions and to notice what does it feel like in my body mm-hmm. when I'm in the studio, when I'm teaching, when I'm practicing, when I'm having conversations with like-minded people, and what does it feel like in other spaces when I'm sitting in a conference room at a talent mm-hmm. agency and everyone's talking about things that don't really matter? Yeah, right. Um, and so that was, I just started to follow what was life-affirming mm-hmm. and to really feel into what does that energy feel like? What does that frequency feel like in my body? And be able to recognize that so that when I walk into a room even if it is with another producer or a talent agent, and I feel that energy, then I can say, oh, this is somebody that I want to do a project with. So I had that experience with um, like Forrest Whitaker and Tim Bowie, is that we, you know, that was like a group of people where we were all on the same vibration and we all wanted to do the same thing in a film. Mm-hmm. And that was like a life affirming experience. Mm. Wow. I, I oh actually God. love that you said, does this feel life affirming or not? Because it actually parallels a question that I asked myself, which is, is this loving or non loving? And it seems that when I pose that question, I always immediately know the answer yeah. because when I ask myself something like, is this the right thing to do? Or like, should I do this? Then I just get stuck in a tornado within the mind. But when I ask myself if it's loving or affirming, like you said, it seems very clear to me. And I just also wanted to reflect back some of the beautiful gifts that you reminded me of, of yoga, because I've been a devout practitioner for about eight years. And Yoga, life before yoga almost felt like sleepwalking through life. I almost felt like who was making the decisions? Like who was actually controlling this body of mine? Like I wasn't even there. But for people who are listening to this podcast who maybe don't have a really strong relationship to yoga or maybe have never even tried it, I would actually love for you to explain a little bit more in depth about yoga nidra in particular because that's a bit more advanced yoga, I would say. So can you actually dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah. I mean, the first thing I would say is that I don't know if I would, I think the understanding of yoga nidra is, might be advanced, but I actually feel like it's really wonderful for beginners because anyone can practice yoga nidra and have a very deep and meaningful experience, even in the first class, which is what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about anything. I was like, I laid down, <laughs> followed the instructions and was like, whoa, <laughs> what just happened? So yoga nidra, we can think about it in three different ways. So the way that we mostly hear about it and think about it is that yoga nidra is a technique of deep relaxation, mm. right? It's a technique where someone asks you to lie down and the teacher generally is guiding you systematically through the body in like body rotation where they're asking you to systematically relax parts of the body and they're asking you to notice the breath and you may be even asked to count backwards right and as you count backwards you bring in a little more softening to the body a little bit more releasing of the thoughts And at some point, we just allow ourselves to kind of float in this space between being asleep and being awake or being awake and being asleep. But yet we still keep our consciousness awake and aware to hear the instructions, even though the physical body might fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And so the practice of yoga nidra in my experience has just allowed me to wake up to my life. Mm, Yeah. You mentioned this idea of sleepwalking. Mm -hmm. It allows you to wake up to where you have been asleep because most of us, a lot of us, are asleep at some point during the day. I mean, how many of us have ever driven to the supermarket 
and don't remember how exactly did we get, oh, we're here already. How did, did anybody have ever have that kind of zone out feeling? All the time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm like the programming drove here. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, that's right. And so, you know, Yoga Nidra using that same uh, metaphor is really an upgrade to the software. Mm. It's basically saying, okay, let's upgrade so that we can stay awake and aware, but our consciousness is awake and aware, but the body now gets to rest. Yeah. There's no other practice where you can do that. Mm. It's actually um, so fascinating to hear your explanation of yoga nidra because Gina and I have actually been practicing this without calling it yoga nidra. Um, We've both been doing these really profound somatic meditations, which do involve us actually putting the body at a complete somatic surrender, essentially. There's a, com- there's a complete restful uh, nature to what the body's positioning is and the mind is at rest, but the consciousness is active. And I, I just think you did a beautiful job of explaining that. And I think for anyone listening, this is completely and totally doable day one. You don't need some crazy flexible back to do this, which by the way, I have so many objections to the way that the Western world has, you know, <laughs> used yoga to try and sell things. But um, thank you so much for explaining that because I didn't realize that what we've been practicing, Gina, actually is yoga nidra. Yeah. You know, I was telling Tracy before we started recording that I've been doing these for a while because I have used to really suffer a lot from insomnia. Um, But I would say even in my breathwork practice, I'm a breathwork facilitator. And I feel like what I guide people through is very similar to where you are just giving your body that true rest. And really, as you said, um, Tracy, like feeling that in your body, it's almost like I could feel yeah, the rest through my skin, through my being, through my, like mm. my, my underneath my skin, I could feel it. And I think, you know, the world that we live in, there's just, there's no permission to rest. I think when we are addicted to that adrenaline, addicted to working, like that's our baseline. I didn't know mm. that there was anything past that. You know, what I used to think was resting was really getting to the point of burnout and then crashing you know, sleeping for a couple of days, and then you just go right back and thinking that that was rest. Um, And then as you said, when you start opening up to these types of practices, and you actually feel the shift in your body, you can feel the tension leaving your body. And you're like, oh, this, this is what I've been craving. This is what rest is. So I would love for you to speak to people who maybe are either afraid or maybe just don't trust themselves to, to rest. I think there's this common fear that oh, if I relax, then I'm not going to do all the stuff or I'm not going to achieve my dreams or how will I How will I then function? What if I turn into a lazy person and I never mm-hmm. have any ambition? Um, because most people have never tried living or operating from this restful state of a, a relaxed and, and um, calm nervous system. So what would you say to that? Yeah, so I would say a couple of things and this kind of brings in the other two definitions of yoga nidra. Yoga Nidra is a state of consciousness, mm. Mm. right? And it, it is said to be a place that is peace beyond words, very similar to samadhi, that eighth limb of mm. yoga. We can also think about it as it relates to the brainwave states, right? So right yes. now, we're probably in a low to high beta state, mm-hmm. right? Because we're talking and we're getting to know each other and there are questions and answers and things. And the people listening, maybe they're more in a low beta because they're receiving the information. Mm -hmm. Mm. And the moment that we ask ourselves to soften our gaze or close our eyes, we're reducing this sight, right? This external sight. And then we start to move into this inward journey that is more of an alpha state. And then our breath starts to deepen and we become more aware. And if we're being guided, we can be guided into this place that allows these delta and theta brain waves to become more active. Mm-hmm. And some of those places are places of deep, deep healing, creativity, and dreaming. And those places are necessary for us to be able to be healed and well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, uh, one of the first things I thought when, before we started recording, when I heard your voice, I literally thought she has probably slowed down her brainwaves. 
<laughs> because uh, I know from the voice, and Gina and I have laughed about this between each other because even <laughs> we can tell in our voice when we're in a really high chaotic beta brainwave state, we start saying things like, I know, I know. Like, just like, you know, we're just like really snappy. Um, and note, I've noticed just throughout this conversation, we've all slowed down. Yes. And sort of bega- began to sync with each other into what I can only identify as probably, like you said, a low beta because we're obviously speaking, but it definitely feels less chaotic than some of the other conversations we've had. And the chaos is not always bad. Sometimes it's it's fun to be bantering mm-hmm. at that level. Mm-hmm. But um, I love that you said that yoga nidra is a state of consciousness because I think when we hear yoga, we think I have to bend and break my back in order to be doing yoga. But that's actually something I remind people I've taught yoga to before. I've taught a few classes Yoga is a union of the body and the mind. You could be doing no poses and be doing yoga. And I found it so funny that when I was younger and I would practice yoga, it was like my whole life was non-yoga. And then I would drive like a mad woman to the class and almost like hit a person and a cyclist (laughs) on the way. And then I get into the class and I'm like, okay, I'm in yoga now. And then I'm like sitting there with my mm. legs and feet crossed and in my back, back straight position, thinking that I'm doing yoga. And, um, I remember one of my teachers and thank God I went to the studio when I first started because it was a very, it was not a very modern westernized studio. A lot of the women were actually elderly and just so happened that was the studio close to me. And the practice was more of an inward practice. And it's funny because I kept finding myself trying to perfect the asanas and the teacher Mm -hmm. was like, what are you doing? Stop. This is not yoga. This is, mm. this is not gymnastics. <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was actually able to learn a lot more about these states of consciousness and how the practice is really just allowing you to move through life, like you said, more awake. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit more about your awakening journey. I really mm-hmm. liked how earlier you were talking about how suddenly you became awake to the types of movies you were producing and how mm-hmm. those felt out of alignment. Those had a certain frequency. And so if you could kind of tell us a little bit more about like, what started to fall away? Because mm. Gina and I, uh, we talk about becoming the unlayered self or the true self or what you mm-hmm. would call the luminous self and how when we become awake to that version of ourselves, old things have to die off. It's like mm-hmm. a version of us, a relationship, mm-hmm. a career. And so I'd love for you to tell us about your journey to uncovering your luminous self. Yeah, and I think this this kind of ties into Gina's question before about the people who are afraid of rest, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have to think about this idea that the overculture is designed to keep you in the hustle. It's right. designed to keep you in the doing. Because when you're in the doing, you don't pay attention, right? You don't pay attention to a lot of things that happen in the world. But we also don't pay attention to who we really are. And we don't pay attention to who we're not, mm. right? And so instead, it becomes really easy to be in this place of who we're not. And that is a scary thing to face, right? And so there's a part of us, I feel like, that knows if we become still, if we become quiet, if we follow our breath, that something is going to emerge that is going to be uncomfortable, but it's going to be true. Yeah. Mm. Wow. That was so beautiful. And we're going to have to face that truth and we're going to have to do something about that truth if we want to live into the full potential of who we are. Mm. And I think that that can be scary. And so there is something that is inside of us that knows if I get this still, my life might have to change. I might have to start cutting some things away. I might have to start cutting some people away mm-hmm. because I'm going to have to create spaciousness to receive all of the abundance that is going to come my way, all of the beauty that's going to come my way. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have to face this discomfort and this pain as part of my journey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What's interesting is that. We, we don't want to change because we don't want to be uncomfortable, but like you're already uncomfortable, <laughs> like you're already unhappy. You know, so many of us are already under so much pressure and we're so afraid to change because of how we're, we might feel worse. And it's, it's kind of a funny place to be because you don't really, you're not aware of 
how bad things are. You think where you are is better than than this other place where you are more at peace and more more with light. And you know, a personal share from me and what I've been going through is definitely resonating with what you're saying around being afraid of our own light. So I would love for you to share why are we so afraid of our light? It's it's an interesting journey for me. I've actually had no problem accepting my shadows. I can love my shadows my dark wounds, I can love them all day all day long. But as soon as it's time for me to tune into my light, my gifts, my luminous self, it's it's been a challenging journey. So have you ever struggled with that? Or what can you speak to for someone who's maybe shying away mm. from their light? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say first, and one of my teachers used to say this, that you don't want to get to the place where the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing, mm. right? And I do think that we have been conditioned to believe that we're not worthy. Yeah. We've been conditioned to really reject our birthright mm-hmm. of shining our light. Because when we shine our light, it can be dangerous. You know, I write about this in in my new book, The Luminous Self, about how Uh, When I was a young girl, I was bullied. Bullied for being different, bullied for being in advanced classes, bullied for wearing glasses, bullied for all the things. And so what happens when you are taught a lesson, right? You receive an impression that being different or being successful or shining your light or being your unique self isn't safe you start to become invisible. Mm. You start to become small. You start to conform to what everyone else is doing so that you can kind of just blend in to be safe. And I think that we all, yeah. And I Mm. think we all have a little bit of that in some way or another that we, we mold ourselves into some other form and then we forget who we are. And that's why... It's a self-remembrance, and that self-remembrance really is going to require you to go through um, some of the painful pieces. You know, I mean, I can I can give you an example of a revealing because you Sam had asked about that, and this is just a very simple story. But there's a practice in yoga philosophy called vichara which is this practice of deliberation where you kind of take a moment and revisit it and revisit it how many times it may have happened in life. And there was one time um, just before I was almost done with producing films uh, where I realized, I was like, oh, there's this voice inside of me that is always telling me that I don't have enough time that everything has to be a rush. I don't have enough time. Even if I look at the clock and I see I have plenty of time, there's something inside of me that believes that I don't have enough time. I At the time, I did not have um, the vocabulary to call that urgency. Mm-hmm. But what I would call, it's what I would call urgency. So everything was always done fast. Everything was multitasking. Part of my identity was the fact that I could multitask and get all these things done and run all these teams and do all the things. Yeah. And then at some point that one day, I was like, why do I feel like I have no time? Like even just sitting here, relaxing, quote unquote, I feel like I don't have enough time. And so I started to do this practice of deliberation. And I went back in time. Okay, when was the last time that I felt like I didn't have enough time? And I kept going back. Okay, when was the time before that? Time before that? Time before that? And this process took about two weeks for me to do. And I would journal each time I would remember a moment of not feeling like I had enough time. And then I got to this point when I was five years old. And when I got to this point of being five years old, I remembered that there was a a girl in my church, who was like this beautiful kind of belle of the ball. Everybody loved her. She was super cute, always had like the cutest dresses. And she died in a fire. God. 
And all the adults were kind of whispering and trying to keep all the information of what happened from the kids. And I was listening at my mom's door and I heard my mom say, wow, she just didn't have enough time. Wow. Wow. And I was able to piece that back like, oh, this this created a meaning. This impression, which we would call in yoga a samskara, created this impression, which created a belief. And that belief has been with me that I don't have enough time. Mm. And that belief has been reinforced by the overculture that continues to tell you, you don't have enough time. You're going to be behind. You're going to miss out. Last chance to sign up, right? And that we've incorporated this kind of thing into so many things that we do, whether it's marketing, whether it's, I'm not going to go to the party because I want to rest. Mm-hmm. And then a friend says, oh, but so-and-so is going to be there. or the, And it's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. oh, okay, well now I have to go because I feel like I'm missing. And then we, we deny our own truth. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to use that story as an example of how something can be running unconsciously in the program, as you said before, Gina, mm-hmm. without us even knowing. It's like there's a tab open in the background that's sucking yes. all of the energy off of your battery, and yeah. you don't know that the tab is open. Quickly interrupting this episode to talk about an exciting opportunity to work with both of us, our new six-month coaching mastermind, The Unlayer Itself. Gina? Tell them what's happening. Together, we'll be working through the layers of self-worth, self-doubt, fear and anxiety, money trauma, nervous system dysregulation, social conditioning, generational trauma. The Unlayered Self Mastermind is truly unlike anything you'll ever experience. We literally created a container that features every single tool and practice that has ever helped us uncover our own unlayered self. Everything we learned to shed self-doubt, fear, guilt, and shame. And we had to spend collectively over half a million dollars in personal and spiritual development to now teach you what we embody. The Unlayered Self is a high-level mastermind that offers one-on-one coaching with both of us, group coaching, two in-person retreats, and an intentional community. You can get all the deeds by clicking the link at the top of our show notes. We begin the journey on September 12th. Let's get back to the episode. It's actually wild that you use the metaphor of the tabs because in my coaching programs before, I said, you are a browser and you have a thousand tabs open (laughs) and your computer is literally shutting down. It's actually functioning as best as it can with the thousand tabs you have open. Mm -hmm. But I want to bring us back to a blank desktop. (laughs) Mm-hmm. We're going to take all the applications and the random screenshots and downloads you have all over the desktop. We're going to cancel all the tabs so that you can just be. Mm-hmm. And I love that you said that you were able to trace this back to five years old. And subsequently, you said that it was reinforced by the overculture because all of us have impressions or receive impressions as children. This is what a lot of my work is based on. And we don't really experiencing, we don't experience any challenges to those impressions because they usually are in alignment with, like you said, the overculture. And then this becomes a part of our personality. Mm-hmm. And then, as you know, we say our personal reality. Now mm-hmm. this is just who we are. This is our way of being. And it can take, so, it's unfortunate that it takes so much suffering before we change it. But as Gina and I always say, like pain is never without purpose. And pain is always actually asking you to look within because if things didn't hurt, you would never, you would never ask why. You would just keep going. And so I'm actually curious, do you still produce films or when did that actually stop? So I stopped producing Hollywood films uh, about 10 years ago, Mm. right? And I have other projects that are around in my field that have nothing to do with Hollywood, but have a lot to do with consciousness and have a lot to do with media. Ooh, amazing. Yeah. And, you know, I I would definitely agree with what you said you know, discomfort is really the portal to awakening. Yeah. And when we're practicing yoga, you know, that song that you hear that's playing on your computer that you can't figure out like where it's coming from. And then you have to go into the finder (laughs) and start to force quit things. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically what yoga is. Yoga is that song that's playing in the background that suddenly becomes audible. 
right? that you can't mm-hmm. ignore. You can try to turn the volume down because you need to get through this next thing, but it's still there. The next mm-hmm. time you turn the volume up, it's going to be there and it wants you to find yourself. Mm. So I really feel like these practices are, um, they are life-affirming. Yes. They, the practices themselves are life-affirming. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I'm actually kind of curious, obviously, yoga nidra being a staple in your practice to live from the state of consciousness and practice self-care. Are there other self-care tools that you're using to live with a bit more grace right now? Mm, yes. Um, you know, I have a chanting practice. I have a meditation practice. I practice in nature. So nature is a, a big part of my practice, of my life. Um, I would say that yoga is a ritual. It's a sacred ritual and it is a life ritual for me. Um, I practice many rituals. And I really feel like, you know, you talked about this earlier, Sam, about going into the yoga class and being like, okay, now I'm in yoga. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Yoga is life. Mm, yes. Yoga mm. is how you live your life. If we're really weaving those yamas and niyamas, which are the ethical principles of yoga, into our life, it doesn't matter if you ever do a pose. <laughs> right. It really doesn't. Right. You know, the, the asana is this, this kind of place of support. It's what is supporting you. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's funny because um, Gina has said to me so many times, like, I can't do yoga. And I'm like, everyone can do yoga because (laughs) I've tried to help you remove the obstacle of thinking that you have to be an asana queen, right? Meaning that you have to do all these balance poses. I said, those are really just cherries on top of your practice. You really can just lay there and breathe and you can be doing it not even in a class. You don't even need a yoga mat. And I think that's what's been so beautiful about my my yoga mastery journey is that I'll never master it, but I thought that I would master all the poses when I began. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What's funny is that that was actually a narrowing perspective, like starting broad and then getting really narrow. And it's actually been a reverse process where I was narrowly focused on what happens in the classroom, but then yoga became much broader than that, a way of life, how I move from one thing to the next thing. What is my state of consciousness as I do this? Is this life affirming? Is this loving? And I I would love for more and more people to experience that. Um, What do you suggest people do if they want to start this? How can they experience what we're experiencing to be true for us so that they Mm -hmm. can, yeah, experience their luminous self? Yeah. I mean, I really feel like Yoga Nidra is the portal. Yeah. It's it's the most accessible practice. It's a practice that brings you into the liminal space, which is a space that for most of us is very uncomfortable because it's unknown. Yeah. Right? It feels scary because it's dark, it's unknown. But there's so much wisdom that's in that space. There's yeah. the wisdom that we have. There's the wisdom from our ancestors. There's wisdom from the earth that is all accessible to us when we move into that space of liminality. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, it would be if I was starting all over, but I had the knowledge that I have now, yeah. I would say <laughs> yoga nidra and a journaling practice mm. and a practice of being with nature at least once or twice a week in whatever way that I could. Yeah. It's amazing what nature can do. I used to be very anti-nature because I'm allergic to the outside. (laughs) I'm allergic to trees, grass, everything. So I used to really avoid it. And when I started to bring that into my practice and really be intentional, um, it's it's just amazing what you can absorb through nature into your body without even necessarily understanding what's happening. Um, and I think when we talk about being silent and getting quiet and getting calm, um, I think so many of us are chasing our tail trying to find the answer. Like, what do I do next? Is this the right thing? Should I do this? Should I do that? And so many people are looking for the answers. And it's been almost like this cosmic um, universal kind of sick joke that me and Sam always talk about that. It's like when you stop looking for that answer and when you get quiet enough, that's when you have the knowing. That's when all the wisdom can actually click in. That's when our creativity opens. And it's no wonder that we get cut off from our creativity when 
our brains are offline because our nervous systems are so activated. Um, and I think a really big theme in our conversations in this podcast have been about personal discernment. Mm-hmm. How do we know when something is right? And you kind of spoke to that already that you had this feeling and you started to kind of recognize, oh, this for me is a yes. This for me is a no. I would love for you to share for people how they can start that journey of finding that personal discernment, being able to distinguish between this is a heart desire versus maybe a fear-based desire or an egoic desire. Sometimes it's really hard to tell because the ego just puts on so many masks that look a lot like what our true desires might be. Um, So we would love to hear from you on that. Yeah, it's really funny that you said the word mask, right? Because the word personality, the etymology of that word is persona. And persona refers to this idea of a mask that, you know, actors would use in the theater. Mm -hmm. They would put these different masks on. And so the, the, I would like to start there and just ask people to maybe take a few moments to write down and consider what are the masks that they're wearing? What are the masks that they've been wearing that they're ready to take off? Mm. Right. What, what part of you feels the most true? When do you feel the most yourself? Because when you feel the most yourself, if let's say maybe you feel the most yourself in nature, right? And if we can look at our relationship, let's say, with nature and think about how the overculture, again, wants us to be in that extractive place. Like I go to nature to feel better. I go to yoga to feel better. How can we make this a more reciprocal relationship. That means that you're not going to take, you're there to have this kind of cultivation of relationship that can become a symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you get to really feel and know this vibration of what truth feels like. And that to me is what becomes the yes. Mm. I love mm-hmm. that you said we will understand what the vibration of truth begins to feel like because I actually began to feel that so much more after I met Gina. I think when we became friends, we thought, oh, this is the vibration of truth, which was so interesting because it was definitely uh, followed by all of the mind stories, which was like, how do you know? Like, what does this mean? Like, you don't even know her. <laughs> And because we've been living in the vibration of truth and stepping on this journey together, we've been able to birth things so much relatively faster than I think that a persona would have been able to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, thank you for voicing that because I haven't heard people say the vibration of truth, but that's actually what this conversation feels like. So thank you for putting words to that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. And yeah, I think the, the, what you said earlier too about the personal discernment, that is one of the biggest um, gifts that can come from our spiritual practice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to get a little woo-woo because (laughs) we've been talking about the liminal space, that space where you said your body is asleep and your consciousness is aware. And I think that for any of us who have had these really deep, deep meditative experiences, that's where weird shit happens. And so I'm kind of curious to know as as an advanced practitioner of yoga nidra and the state of consciousness, what are some of the most powerful insights or downloads or experiences? You can share anything here um, that have happened in those states of consciousness, because I feel that a lot of listeners may not ever create space in that in their day for mm-hmm. that state of consciousness. Um, they may only experience that type of thing in their dreams. Um, but I've recently, and Gina too, have been diving deeply into these states. Um, I'm actually practicing a meditation where I can I can experience gamma gamma waves, mm-hmm. and weird things have happened. Um, so I'd love to just kind of go back and forth about that because. We, we love to go into the woo-woo here. So if you've had anything crazy happen, I would love to hear a little bit about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'll keep it somewhat practical um, because what I would say is I wrote an entire book from the practice of Yoga Nidra. Wow, um, yeah. Right? So Yoga Nidra is a portal to so many different things, including creativity. Mm-hmm. 
And that, that to me is really what's amazing is that if you open yourself up to be able to receive that creativity and to deeply listen, it's like a channeling, right? Mm. And so that's why I laugh when people uh, will say, oh, well, you know, if I'm resting, I won't be as productive. I won't be this. I won't be that. It's like, no, the type of productivity that you experience will be much different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You will have less efforting that will need to happen and Mm -hmm. more flow. Just like what you said, Sam, about, oh, things happen quicker. You're able to manifest things quicker because you're not in this space of the buzz keeping you away from the true thoughts and the, the downloads that need to come. So the first thing I would say is this space of yoga nidra um, and the practice of yoga nidra allows you to kind of become a little bit more comfortable with that space of hypnagogia, which is the space between being awake and falling asleep. And so all of us probably know that feeling of maybe when, if you've ever been in a lecture and you've been really tired and all of a sudden mm-hmm. you start falling asleep yeah. and then you bring you, there's, there's this little space in there that feels really sweet, right? Mm-hmm. It's like a space that's calling you to come to sleep, but yet you're awake enough to know, oh no, I, I, yeah. I I'm in class <laughs> yeah. right now or I'm driving yeah. right now. I can't, I can't do this. Right. Um, and that space is a portal. And the more we practice yoga nidra, because you mentioned dreams, the more I have experienced and people that I have taught have experienced that their dream life becomes more vivid. Mm. That all of a sudden people who have not tell me that, oh, I don't remember my dreams. I don't remember my dreams. All of a sudden remembering dreams in detail and then continuing to remember the dreams and sometimes even seeding the dreams that I want to dream about a certain thing or I want to get a message in a dream about a certain thing as they're in this space of hypnagogia. Mm. And then the other thing I would say that also happens is lucid dreaming starts to happen, mm-hmm. right? Lucid dreaming starts to happen. And, and, there's, and if you notice yourself becoming lucid in your dreams, I would definitely look up the work of Charlie Morley um, or Andrew Holacek because they have they both have books that have little um, kind of exercises that could help you to deepen um, your experience of lucid dreaming. Um, you know, I'm in Santa Fe right now in my current space because of a lucid dream, and that dream was the the planet Jupiter came to me and her moons and they introduced themselves by name. I had no idea how many moons or what moons Jupiter had until after and I went and Googled it. And they introduced themselves and they basically described the place that I would thrive, what it looked like. They didn't tell me the name. They just said, this is the, these are the qualities wow. of space. And when I was coming to from being asleep to awake in that hypnopompic state, what dropped in literally was the sound, vibration, the word, Santa Fe. What? Wow. So, and th- so this is a thing of, li- of deep listening, right? Not, so uh, the practice allowed for this opening to happen. The listening allowed for me to receive it. But then the, the biggest thing is the trust. And the yes. Faith. Yeah. Right. So the trust for me was okay. Uh, I'm not alone in the world here. I have a partner no. <laughs> and he's never been to Santa Fe. <laughs> so mm. let's take a road trip. Right. And we took a road trip during the very early pandemic and he fell in love with it. Mm. Wow. And here we are. And we're I love thriving. That. <laughs> You know what? I wonder, I'm so curious now about your astrocartography too, because I'm very much into that and the planets and all the alignment there. But I bet if you look, you should look afterwards I, I and have let us looked. know. I have. <gasps> what does it which, say? Which line goes through Santa Fe? 
I don't remember which line it is. The line doesn't go directly through Santa Fe. It goes through kind of Albuquerque continuing up northern New Mexico. And I actually were moving to the space in northern New Mexico. That's not because it's closer to the line, but it just so happened (laughs) that that's what it was. But because it's in alignment, which is why it's reflected in the lines. Yeah. And it's interesting because I have lived in many places that show up on my astrocartography as Mm -hmm. places that are either going to be really hard lessons, you know, Mm -hmm, like after I found out about astrocartography after I had lived in Mount Shasta for about five years and had like a horrible breakup and all these things happened. And when I looked at the astrocartography, it was like, oh, you're going to learn some really tough lessons. (laughs) And this is a place of learning. So, you know, there's something to it. Somebody knew something somewhere along the line to know where these ley lines would, would land us. That's amazing. Yeah. I just love the story of trust that has been woven through your entire your entire life and all of your shares today. Um, I think for me personally and for a lot of us, we were conditioned not to trust ourselves, especially just growing up um, with parents who are like, I know I'm the parent. I know more than you, you know, and we just trust them. But in so many ways, even my own parents, like they didn't know who I was either. Like how, why am I taking direction? Obviously not as a child, but as an adult, why am I taking direction from people that really don't know me? And they don't know themselves. Well, that's honestly probably why they don't even know me. And because even my parents' perspective of me is so filtered through their own life experiences and what they think is a good life for me. And so learning to trust myself was such a weird journey because it almost feels so silly and dumb. You're like, wait, I'm literally trying to learn who I am. And if I trust myself, like it just sounds so like asinine because you think you do know yourself. But as we talked about earlier, what you know is your persona. What I know is how I should look in front of people. What I know is how to really put on a good mask. That's what I knew. Not really what was underneath, but as you also spoke on, there is so much fear of, but what if I look inside and I don't like it? Or what if I look in there and it's not... change. Yeah, what I, what, what I want it to be. But I think the knowing really is that there's just no way that when it's your truth that you wouldn't being just right. pure joy and bliss. It just, that that can't exist. And that, you know, this unconditional love that resides in us, like it only, it only can feel the vibration of love, you know? And so that there wouldn't be a space in there. You know, I think it's really is a version of heaven, right? There just wouldn't be a space in there that leaves room for this discomfort that we become so accustomed to. Yeah, that's very well said. I mean, I, I definitely feel like this is why we have to connect ourselves with moments of awe. Mm. and moments of joy. We have to reclaim that for ourselves because those frequencies are reminders of who we really are. They're a reflection of who we really are. They're a reflection of truth. And the more we can attune to that, the more we'll recognize it when it's present. Mm. Yeah, it's so many synchronicities, Tracy, in this conversation. But um, Gina texted me last night about uh, 500 times the word awe. Like, I'm just in such a state of awe. You did, remember? You were like, I'm just in, you said, I'm just filled with awe and I'm just in a state of awe. And like, honestly, everything is so awe-inspiring. You said that like 400 times. I did. And I forgot about I, that. I jokingly said, welcome to the light side. And to which you said, thanks. It's really nice to be here. And I said, you've been here before um, many times because yeah. like you said, those those vibrations are reminders of who we are. And so... Oh my goodness. There's so many things you said actually that have just completely and totally amazed me because I had a I was talking with my meditation practitioner before this and the brain waves and the the inner poverty, everything has been really just divinely aligned in a way that I know that only something greater than us could have orchestrated. And so absolutely. I am so grateful. And I know that everyone listening to this could feel the truth, the way that I did. I felt Mm. my body just sinking into the truth. And we've only ever said this for two other episodes since we've been recording, but we'll tell listeners to really listen to this episode with your body 
yeah. um, rather than your mind. And I have to say, this one feels like one of those. Yes. Um, but as we close, we we ask our guests always to answer a final question. Um, and it's in relation to the theme of our podcast, which is spiraling higher. Because as you know, these lessons, we spiral through them over and over again at different levels of consciousness. And so we're kind of curious to know from you, what was the one theme or continues to be the one theme that you continue to spiral through? Mm. I would say being safe to be seen. I feel that. that's the one. Mm-hmm. That's the mm-hmm. one. I can relate to that one too. Mm-hmm. I think that's my recurring one. And so how does that journey show up for you in your life and how do you respond to it now, I guess, versus before? Yeah. I mean, I've done a lot of work. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here even talking to (laughs) you right now, to be honest, right? Because I could have had all this understanding. I could have all this study of 28 years of yoga and yoga nidra and never shared it with anybody. And that would be a devastation for us all, Tracy. So thank you for doing (laughs) the inner work because Gina and I, um, obviously we coach clients and we've just launched our mastermind, which is called the Unlayered Self. And what we tell people in there is that this is actually not just about you uh, living your most expressed abundant life, but when you do that, you you heal the collective. And so it's, it's going beyond yourself because when you keep yourself small, that's actually selfish. Right. Yeah. It's just hard to see that though, because I think when you have a fear of being seen or you don't feel safe being seen, it's hard in that state mm. to believe that by being seen, it's going to serve not only you, but also yeah. everyone else. Um, so it's it's almost like as I've healed that wound, I've like triggered the wound. It's like every time I go to, you know, put like, you know, some love into it, it almost gets activated again. So yeah. So what has that journey been like for you? Yeah, I I think for me, it's, you know, we can think about this idea of belonging Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And for me, it has been really important to create communities of belonging. And I did that, you know, in 2001, when I opened that first yoga studio, when I had no intention of teaching, that (laughs) was a community that was created for belonging. And Mm -hmm. I feel like the more that I offer these communities and I have an online portal and different trainings and, you know, retreats, and they all are their own little communities that I get to reflect to people, these practices and how far I've come. And then Mm. they get to reflect back to me that I also belong because when Mm. we circle up, everybody is a teacher. There is no hierarchy, right? So you might be coming to quote unquote, my retreat, but when we sit in circle, we are all offering, we are all sharing, and we all have the capacity to be the teacher at any moment with a share, with a question, doesn't matter. And so I think for me, it's about being in community mm-hmm. and Ooh. allowing that to be healing for me as well. A hundred percent. We've been preaching community for I mean, I guess a year now. And there's another synchronicity in what you just mentioned, but our community is called Circle. Oh, <laughs> Circle Community. <laughs> okay. I did not know literally that. Literally the Circle Community, <laughs> the Circle Spiraling Higher Community. Um, that's so, so divine, so beautiful. And um, I know we referred actually several times throughout this episode about your upcoming book, The mm-hmm. Luminous Self. Mm-hmm. So tell us all about the mm-hmm. upcoming launch, where can we find this pre-order? Tell us all of the things, Tracy. Yes. So the luminous self, sacred yogic practices and rituals to remember who you really are, Mm. um, comes out on October 10th. Um, I don't know when this is going to air, but if it airs before November 10th, uh, you can go to Shambhala.com and use the code LUM, L-U-M 30 to get 30% off. Um, When you sign up for that or when you buy the book, um, you're, you can sign up for the free book club, which will be a four week, uh, experience with me where we'll go in depth with the practices and some of the stories Ooh. that I tell about my life, which is another kind of answer to your question is the being vulnerable. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And being vulnerable and sharing some of these stories so that there's a foundation for the practices so that there's an understanding of how they work. Mm-hmm. Um, but Luminous Self and the Luminous Self Book Club are both 
around. Um, there's going to be, I think, eight practices that come with the book. So as soon as you buy the book and you have it in your hands, you can download these practices. Um, and you can find me at Tracy with two E's, stanley.com for all the other things. Amazing. Amazing. Cannot wait to get that book. Yes. And we'll definitely be putting that link in the show notes. So for anyone, we this will obviously be aired before November. So anyone listening right now can go to Shambhala and we'll mention the code again in the show notes that you can get 30% off. And then like Tracy said, join the free book club, get your 30% off and hopefully integrate these beautiful practices into your life so that you can live a bit more grounded, more aware, more awake to your luminous self. Mm. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you both. It's been an honor. An honor. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this honest conversation. We hope it brought you peace, clarity, and a little bit further along your spiritual journey. If you loved this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left us a five-star rating and a review so we can bring you more conscious conversations, spiritual topics, and guests. And we lovingly invite you to join our free Spiraling Higher community by clicking the link in the show notes to continue this healing dialogue and share with us how this episode impacted you. Come on in, introduce yourself, and meet your conscious besties in a safe space for healing conversations between us and other like-minded people on their healing journey. Here's to Spiraling Higher. Thank you.